Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and we are here to bring you more knowledge, more light, and more love. We're back with a Beyond the News episode. Yes. Oh my goodness. It is absolutely astounding what is in Earth's newsfeed right now. It's mind-blowing. The stories are just going to blow you away. I'm so glad you're here. These episodes, if you are a new listener, there are so many new listeners. And I'm so honored that you guys are here with us, Midnight on Earth, this incredible podcast, this energy, this frequency, this beautiful information that we're getting out to people. It's happening now and it's growing. And perhaps you don't know what a Beyond the News episode is. Well, let me tell you, every seven episodes. So we do like interview, interview, six interviews, then beyond the news. Every seven episodes, we go through Earth's news feed and find the stories from mainstream sources that are amazing, incredible, in line with the topics that we talk about, but perhaps not on the front page of the newspaper, or in some cases it is. These articles we talk about, 
we read together. It's it's an experience, to be completely honest, because it's one of the pulses of the human experience, these information pulses. They're there, the currents of information's happening, but our awareness, what's in our general spectrum of what we experience isn't always the things that I find. And then it's like, here it is. And you look and there it is. It's all real. It's so incredible. And when I say we people, I'm not just talking about us. Of course, as usual, we have our incredible guest co-host who really is just the co-host when a co-host is necessary. It's like you're flying one type of plane and it only needs one pilot. And sometimes you're flying a different plane that carries significantly more weight, the weight of the world within beyond the news. And you need a co-pilot. Bryn Anderson is my co-pilot. I have that bumper sticker actually on my car. Yes. Bryn Anderson of vinyl force herbs is here. Hello, Bryn. Hi, I want to see that bumper sticker. <laughs> <laughs> I just printed it uh, okay. recently. It's awesome. Uh, thank you for being here again. Beyond the news. Absolutely. There's so much going on. There has been some big advancements in a lot of different sectors. The world itself, of course, feels fluid, very fluid right now. That's okay. It's fine. It's always a forward progression. And... Before we talk about too much more, I guess I have to do my social media shout out and all of that. So let me do that really quick. Follow me on Instagram if you have not done that already at midnight underscore on underscore earth. That is the address. You can follow me there. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you go, click the button that connects us. Click that follow button wherever you listen to your podcast. Rate the podcast. If you like the podcast and you've heard me say this as many times as there's been episodes, 175 times, maybe you haven't rated my podcast yet. Rate it honestly. Go there and express yourself. You have these stars to work with. Do whatever you feel. But do that if you haven't done that yet. And, of course, I always say this, tell a friend, tell someone that you know that loves these type of podcasts. You know these people. Look what we're talking about. It's so good. There's so much powerful information. The guests, some legends have been here. It's just like, wow, there's so much going on. Bring them here. Midnightonearth.com. Okay, I got through that. And now I have to tell you, before we get into the articles, a very brief story, but an amazing story about my experience with the harmonic egg. Yes, I had a harmonic egg session and oh my God, people, it was absolutely incredible, astounding, mind-blowing, so many words that probably haven't even been invented yet to express just this intense positivity <laughs> it's incredible i want to tell you about it but i'm going to give you the shorter version right now there is a longer version i actually made a video of myself talking about my experience with the harmonic egg and i put it on youtube it's on midnight on earth's youtube channel 
which go subscribe. I'm not a big YouTube person to be completely honest. 99% or more of my listenership is not on YouTube. It's on podcast platforms. People like to use their phones. Mostly it's Spotify and Apple podcasts. Like pretty much like that's a huge, huge percentage of the platforms that people listen to the show on. It's, it's incredible because I see all those back end numbers. And speaking of 175, that's how many countries we've touched right now on good old planet earth. Somehow, somewhere there's someone in 175 countries listening to one of these episodes and loving it. Hopefully <laughs> that's also mind blowing. So we have that, that channel, but this is the short version of the story, but I still want to tell you about it. So Gail Lynn was on the show and she was recommended as a guest to me by Stephen Ross, who had the book about the nemoscope. And we talked about a lot of really amazing things. And he was recommended to me by Ronnie Pontiac, who wrote the book about the American metaphysical religion. Really cool dude. Love Ronnie Pontiac. Thank you for all the help you've given this show. And the interview I did with Gail was amazing. It was really cool. And it really made me interested in checking out this harmonic egg. Well, there is a harmonic egg. There's actually two near me. But I went to the location in Beaverton, Oregon, and I had a session there. The Egg Guardian, her name is Claire Suzuki, amazing lady, super nice, very generous, very welcoming, perfect actual person for that role. She welcomed me into her office. Great vibes already. I have the egg session. The egg is beautiful, of course. You can see pictures of it online. I'm going to post pictures on Instagram soon. It's 11 feet long, 7 feet tall, with speakers on each end, these beautiful lights. It's just a beautiful creation, and it's all wood, because if you remember, Gail said that wood did not hold people's energy, so it was better to have sessions. It didn't just like store energy as people were flowing in and out of this powerful experience. And no right angles, which was cool. It was all prevalent right there. So I have my session and there's a chair inside the egg. You lean back and there's a black circle and super comfortable and a door closes. And this is a very long story. So I'm just going to give you the bullet points before we start reading these articles. But I had a very cosmic experience. I felt like I interacted with different beings and had different awakening experiences related to dormant energies I feel within me. And it also cleared me. I know that's kind of vague, but it cleared my energy. It cleared things I saw fairy-like entities, much like a DMT experience. There was a very deep Pleiadian energy. And there's so much more. <laughs> and the session ended 
And it was incredible. And I was outside of time, much like a psychedelic experience. But this was totally natural light and sound. I was totally sober. And it's mind-blowing. Definitely check out that video on YouTube for the full story. But this is the condensed version. I had an incredible experience. Much like Craig Campobasso had. He said he had a similar experience. I actually talked on the phone with Gail Lynn today. And we talked about the experience that I had because she watched that video. And there are other people who have had similar experiences. The black circle inside the egg does seem like some sort of energy portal or window. For me, it seemed like a window. You'll have to check out the story. It's mind-blowing. And I was telling Gail on the phone, which I didn't say in the video, is that one of the only times I've ever felt a similar energy was when I saw the Oregon eclipse in 2017. And I went to that 100,000 person Oregon eclipse festival. That was like a week long. It was like Oregon burning man weirdness with the eclipse. Very strange. I was there. Bryn Anderson was there. I saw the eclipse and that was the energy I felt. And when I told Gail that she said that the black circle is actually meant to represent that, that it was inspired to be like an eclipse. That's what she was envisioning. And that's why she put it there. And I, wow. So I had a very deep, profound spiritual cosmic experience within the, the harmonic egg. Gail says that it is channeled Syrian technology. I absolutely agree. And I went into that session with zero expectations. And I came out absolutely charged, buzzing with some sort of energy. And I felt so much lighter and cleared. It's incredible. So I just wanted to take a few minutes to shout out the Harmonic Egg, harmonicegg.com. There are over 170, I believe around America, in several countries around the world. Just go to that website, harmonicegg.com, and plug in your zip code. And then the nearest egg, the one that's nearest to you, will pop up and talk to those people. Gail Lynn is amazing. Claire Suzuki is amazing. They were both super nice and generous, and I had the best possible experience. And it was a life-altering, life-changing experience in a way. Changing because it's something that I'll never forget. It's something that I'll carry with me for the rest of my life. And it seemed to activate something else that I haven't really wrapped my head around yet. But I'm telling you people, I had a profound experience with the harmonic egg. And I highly recommend you check it out. And if you do, please send me an email. Let me know your experience. I'm incredibly fascinated because to think of how this came into form, if you listen to that episode and how she created this and the challenges that she faced, it's incredible. And knowing that, knowing that it came from that and what it does, you have to experience it. It gets my highest possible recommendation. I can't express it enough. So Again, just wanted to take a few minutes. Bryn's going to try it out very soon. And let me tell you, by the next Beyond the News, we will hear Bryn Anderson's report about her experience with the harmonic egg. What do you think about that? 
It's time for a star seed activation, Bryn. <laughs> Bryn is a high frequency goddess. If you know Bryn, if you're around her, if you see her, you know that she's just like, wow, she's radiant. She's a radiant high frequency goddess. That's why she's on this show because we're trying to bring you really positive high frequency information and we're loving people. We're just humans, but we're loving, well, in this form. But we're loving people. We're here to do work, even though we make mistakes sometimes. Right, Brent? Absolutely. Okay. So, all right, enough of that. One more thing about your harmonic egg. What episode did you speak with Gail? Was that just your last one or one before that? That was episode 168. So if you go to Spotify, you can look at episode 168 of Midnight on Earth, Frequency Medicine and the Harmonic Egg. It's all of those things. That's all I'm going to say, people, because I could just do a whole podcast about my experience with the egg. And honestly, the video that I made on YouTube, it's like 20 something minutes long. It still doesn't even really express what happened during that experience because it was outside of time. Okay. Okay. Harmonicegg.com. <laughs> Please check it out, everybody. All right. Now <laughs> we're going on to the episode. So Earth right? This planet, the human experience, 10 billion of us and the animal and plant kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the marine life, it's a lot of energy here. Okay. But this is what's going on in our newsfeed. It's going to be a psychedelic one because the subjects kind of weave in and out and kind of close in this crescendo type way. First article, this is from people.com. Here's the headline. Unique dolphin with thumbs spotted by researchers in Greece in rare discovery. And here's the article. A dolphin spotted off the coast of Greece stuck out from their pod like a sore thumb. The striped dolphin, which has flippers that resemble thumbs, was spotted twice this summer in the Gulf of Corinth, live science reported. The rare creature was spotted and photographed by researchers with the Pelagos Cetacean Research Institute, <laughs> a scientific nonprofit focused on the study and conservation of cetaceans, which are whales, dolphins, and porpoises. According to Alexandros Francis, the president of the PCRI who captured the photos of the rare dolphin, said this was not only a unique sighting, it was something the Institute had never seen before. It was the very first time, he says, we saw this surprising flipper morphology in 30 years of surveys in the open sea and also in studies while monitoring all the stranded dolphins along the coasts of Greece for 30 years. Despite the creature's rare thumb-like flippers, which do not look like illness at all, per the researcher, it was able to keep up with the rest of their pond, swimming, leaping, bow riding, and playing with other dolphins, he said. Well, that's nice. The dolphins are evolving, people. They're getting thumbs. You know, they are mammals. They have very high intelligence. Now they have thumbs. Pretty soon they will be space-faring with us, who knows? Well, here's the wild pivot. Fox13Memphis.com. Here's the headline. After school Satan Club coming to Memphis Elementary School. 
elementary school? That's right. Here is the article. <laughs> okay. A new club coming to a Memphis elementary school is causing controversy. The Satanic Temple announced that the after-school Satan Club is coming to Chimney Rock Elementary School in Cordova, a school that is a part of the Memphis Shelby County School District. And here's a quote. The Satanic Temple is a non-theistic religion that views Satan as a literary figure who represents a metaphorical construct of rejecting tyranny and championing the human-minded spirits. After School Satan Club does not attempt to convert children to any religious ideology. Instead, the Satanic Temple supports children to think for themselves. All After School Satan Clubs are based on activities centered around the seven fundamental tenets of Satanism and emphasize a scientific, rationalist, non-superstitious worldview, a post by the Satanic Temple announcing the club's arrival at Chimney Rock Elementary read MSCS emailed parents regarding the club in an email obtained by Fox 13 MSCS explained the club's introduction to the school's campus and here's what they said as a public school district we're committed to upholding the principles of the First Amendment which guarantees equal access to all nonprofit organizations seeking to use our facilities after school hours, the email read. This means we cannot approve or deny a request based solely on the organization's viewpoints or beliefs. Board Policy 7002 outlines this commitment, allowing community groups and government entities to rent school property outside of school hours. These gatherings are not school-sponsored and are not endorsed or promoted by Memphis Shelby County Schools. So it is a 501c3, and the meeting is taking place after hours. Okay, so whatever. So essentially, okay, they're renting a space. They're having a meeting on school grounds, as other nonprofits are able to do. Are they recruiting people there? Now, that's a different story. It also doesn't say if it's for kids, like after school club infers like child care or something after school. Is it that or is it just like an adult meeting where they're renting the building? Looks like it's for kids. Well, it looks like it could be for kids. The Satanic Temple said that the After School Satan Club will include science projects, community service projects, puzzles and games, nature activity, arts and crafts, and snacks. According to the Satanic Temple, the club is scheduled to have its first meeting at Chimney Rock Elementary between 4.30 and 5.30, January 10th, 2024. Here's one last quote. ASSC, After School Satan Club volunteers, are ready to create a fun and inviting place for students to learn and make new friends. A Facebook post by the Satanic Temple said, well, they are exercising their rights as Americans. Let's see what they're pushing. I don't really like it. It would be the same as any church being on a school campus and being that close to kids and creating a space. I feel like if it wasn't a church-related school and there was any other religion there, they most likely wouldn't allow it. So I'm wondering what's going on there. So very strange. So let's see if that actually takes off or if people are just going to be like totally freaked out. 
You have to circle back in seven weeks. See if there's any new articles. Oh my it. God. Yeah. <laughs> 12 kids disappear. I don't know. I'm just kidding. I can't say that. That's just a joke. People satanic devil. Don't curse me. Okay. I'm just making a joke. You guys have a sense of humor, right? Okay. Next article. Taiwannews.com.tw. Headline. Taiwanese man arrested at Thailand airport smuggling otters in underwear. Oh, that's typical. Yeah, you know. Here's the article. A Taiwanese man was arrested at Thailand's Suvar Nabumi Airport on December 5th after he was caught by customs officers trying to smuggle two otters and a prairie dog onto a Taipei-bound flight. The 22-year-old man reportedly first put the small animals into his pantyhose and secured the bound pouches around his waist with packing tape. His odd behavior and visible bulges in his pants caught the attention of officers as he was walking through an x-ray machine at a security checkpoint. Information on the incident was shared by Thailand's Department of National Parks, Wildlife, and Plant Conservation in a Facebook post on December 6th. Maybe he was acting odd because he had like moving animals, like scratching his legs <laughs> or biting at her or something. Uh, that's very strange. Like how much time? Yeah, it seems like it's like a ticking otter bomb right how there. How do you tape an otter to your... You know, where's the photos? Found pouches. He had them in pouches. Wow. The Taiwanese man will face charges related to trafficking in prohibited goods, removing protected wildlife from their natural habitat, and attempting to export wildlife without a proper license. Wildlife smuggling operations are a serious problem for Thailand's authorities. To combat the trafficking of animals, the government passed an Enhanced Wildlife Conservation and Protection Act in 2019. Under the current law, if found guilty, the man may face a fine of up to $30,000 and between 4 to 10 years in prison. According to reports, the Asian small-clawed otters, which the man attempted to bring to Taiwan, are a protected species. Wow. No. Well, here's some good news. They found that space tomato. Did you know there was a tomato <laughs> lost in space? I actually didn't know this until I found this article. But it turns out there was a tomato lost in space for a while. Okay. This is from space.com. Headline, ISS astronauts find tomato that was lost in space for eight months. Okay. And here's the article. A foodie space mystery has been finally solved. The remains of a tiny tomato lost by NASA astronaut Frank Rubio after an off-Earth harvest in March finally showed up on the International Space Station more than eight months later. Quote, our good friend Frank Rubio, who headed home already, has been blamed for quite a while for eating the tomato, but we can exonerate him. We found the tomato, NASA astronaut Jasmine Mogbailey said during a live-streamed event on Wednesday, December 6th, that celebrated the ISS's 25th anniversary. Wow, 25 years. International Space Station, holy cow. The minor incident turned into a large inside joke for Rubio in the fall. 
the one inch wide red robin dwarf tomato was a part of the final harvest for the veg five experiment that rubio himself had tended through some growing pains each iss astronaut received samples of the tomatoes after the march 29th 2023 harvest but rubio's share stored in a ziploc bag floated away before he could take a bite so they found the tomatoes people it was so they're growing in food in space is really the article behind the article. Wow. Is that they're, looks like they're experimenting with growing food on the space station. See, I thought they just like, they somehow like had it out. Like, you know what I mean? Like the guy was going to take a <laughs> bite, like the astronaut guy's like, I'm not really missing. on a tomato right now. Like you had that space tomato. He's like, shit, dude. Fuck, you dropped it, bro. It's fuck. <laughs> so this one's really cool. This is from NewScientist.com, and the headline is Mystery of the Quantum Lentils. Are legumes exchanging secret signals? Wait, that's my new DJ name, Quantum Lentils. Quantum, you know, some of those side dub, side bass DJs kind of have names like that. Yeah, I know. Bogtrotter. Yeah, I don't think I've heard Quantum Lentil, though. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that one. Who's the luminous guy? Luminous Bean? I don't know. <laughs> no, it was that one dude. Spacey Koala. I can't remember. Spacey Koala? There's just so many names. Okay. Okay, and here's the article. In the foothills to the south of Rome sits Italy's premier nuclear physics lab, the National Laboratory of Frascati. It has all the equipment you would expect at a cutting-edge science facility with huge magnets, powerful particle accelerators, and exposed electric cables spilling out everywhere. Many of the researchers here are trying to unpick the secrets of the standard model, our best theory of how reality works at its most fundamental level. And then there is the room where Catalina Kirkunu is monitoring a small box of lentils. Okay, that's a lot of buildup in this article here. Suranu hopes... The apparatus and methods of nuclear physics can solve the century-old mystery of wine lentils and other organisms, too, constantly emit an extremely weak dribble of photons or particles of light. Some reckon... Did AI write this article? <laughs> I'm thinking of this, like, physicists, well, I reckon... <laughs> doesn't seem likely hold on this is cool though some (laughs) some reckon these bio photons are of no consequence others insist they are a subtle form of lentil communication Sirkinu leans towards the latter camp and she has a hunch that the pulses between the pulses might even contain secret quantum signals quote these are only the first steps but it looks extremely interesting she says There are already hints that living things make use of quantum phenomena with inconclusive evidence that they feature in photosynthesis and the way birds navigate, among other things. But lentils not known for their complex behavior would be the most startling example yet of quantum biology, says Michael Sifra at the Czech Academy of Sciences in Prague. It would be amazing, says Sinfra, if it's true. Since so many organisms emit biophotons, 
such a discovery might indicate that quantum effects are ubiquitous. Wow. Wow. Cool. Wow. They emit biophotons. What is going on with that? Like, whoa. To me, that seems like, yeah, of course uh, they do. I know. There's just so much that we have yet to discover about this whole thing called Earth, right? The plant consciousness, Jen Fry, we talked about that. And so many other guests, including Bryn Anderson. She was the first guest we had talking about that. And we're going to have others. It's, it's good. Just wait, people. You don't even know what's coming. I know what's coming. But I, you don't even know what's coming. We're going to have some incredible guests. And surprises. Okay. Next article, msn.com. Reposting the New York Post. Headline, Nostradamus's 2024 predictions revealed. Brace yourself for more war and famine. All right. Is that like war with a side of famine or is it like you just get, here's some more war and famine. Is it like one thing? Is it a package deal? Like, do you get a better deal if you just cut the famine and you just have the war? How about we just cut the war then we have the famine. We'll solve the famine way easier. We'll solve the war. Maybe. I don't know. Of course it's all going well. Here's the article. Nostradamus, a 16th century French astrologer known as the prophet of doom. Well, he's known as a lot of things. That's pretty gloomy. Has a few foreboding predictions for 2024. According to his 1555 text, Le Prophetis, the prophecies, this year brings continued global strife, including war on the seas, royal turmoil, and humanitarian disaster. His vision of the future is laid out in 942 poetic verses called quatrains and while his writings are somewhat vague he has been credited with foreseeing the rise of adolf hitler the assassination of john f kennedy the september 11th attacks and covid to name a few in spite of some who falsely believed his text had predicted the apocalypse in 1999 his visions continued and have this to say for 2024. Some experts erroneously believe that Nostradamus had predicted the world's end in 1999, but his prophecies have continued still 25 years later. Prince Harry becomes king. One of the passages in his long text says that a king of the isles will be driven out by force. Thumb some think Nostradamus is referring to King Charles III. Another passage supposedly about Charles says, soon afterward, a disastrous war, a new king shall be anointed who for a long time will appease the earth, according to IFL Science. British author and Nostradamus commentator Mario Redding, who previously said Nostradamus may have predicted Queen Elizabeth II's death, analyzed that King Charles III would be abdicating due to persistent attacks on both himself and his second wife, and Harry would replace him instead of William because he, the spare heir, has no mark of a king, quote, the Daily Mail reported. Nostradamus predicted combat and naval battle and said that a Quote, red adversary would become pale with fear, putting the great ocean in dread. Some think that the red adversary could be referring to China and their red flag. The naval battle could be referring to China's tensions with the island of Taiwan. 
Beijing, the capital of China, has the largest navy in the world. He also predicted extreme weather events and world hunger, quote, very great famine through pestiferous wave, he said. A new pope through the death of a very old pontiff, a Roman of good age will be elected. Of him, it will be said that he weakens his sea, but long will he sit and inviting activity. Okay, well, that's not very good, Nostradamus. Where's Nostradamus's like good predictions? You know, why is it always this like ah, you know? And then, but then the you know the years keep going, so it's like. Here's the thing about these prophecies, people. I read that article because it's interesting, but if prophecies have validity, it's only as a potential scenario. If we choose a certain path, it's guaranteed to look like this. So don't do that and be averted. We have willpower. We have consciousness. We have love. We have the ability to manifest things. We have this creative power Let's not fulfill prophecies of doom and gloom. Let's fulfill prophecies of love and light. We have that choice. Next article. (laughs) Sciencealert.com. This is one that I've been hearing about for a while, and now people are talking about it again. Here is the headline. Mysterious link between owning cats and schizophrenia is real, study says. Really? Let's see. Here's the article. A new review suggest that having a cat as a pet could potentially double a person's risk of schizophrenia-related disorders. Australian researchers conducted an analysis of 17 studies published during the last 44 years from 11 countries, including the U.S. and U.K. Quote, we found an association between broadly defined cat ownership and increased odds of developing schizophrenia-related disorders, writes psychiatrist John McGrath and fellow researchers, all from the Queensland Center for Mental Health Research. This idea that cat ownership could be linked to schizophrenia risk was proposed in a 1995 study with exposure to a parasite called Toxoplasma gondii, G-O-N-D-I-I, Toxoplasma gondii, suggested as a cause. But the research so far has put forth mixed conclusions. Studies have found that being around cats during childhood might make a person more likely to develop schizophrenia. However, not all studies have found an association. Some also link cat exposure to higher scores on scales that measure traits related to schizophrenia, which affects a person's thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, and psychotic-like experiences. But again, other studies don't show this connection. To get a clear picture, McGrath and his team said, there's a need for a thorough review and analysis of all the research on these topics. T. Gandhi is a mostly harmless parasite that can be transmitted through undercooked meat or contaminated water. A bite from an infected cat or the feces of an infected cat can also transmit T. Gandhi. It is estimated that around 40 million people in the U.S. may be infected, usually without symptoms. Meanwhile, researchers keep finding more strange effects that infections may have. 
Once inside our bodies, T. Gandhi can infiltrate the central nervous system and influence neurotransmitters. The parasite has been linked to personality changes, the emergence of psychotic symptoms, and some neurological disorders, including schizophrenia. However, a link doesn't prove a cause. Okay, very strange. And in the end, they say, in conclusion, our review provides support for an association between cat ownership and schizophrenia-related disorders. Whoa. But everything's saying some studies said yes, some studies said no. Exactly. It's really vague. I call it bogus. Sorry. They've been saying it, and they actually say that they're not even sure that that bacteria actually does what they're just saying it does. That's the thing. I have to report on this stuff. It's funny. (laughs) It's interesting. But, of course, you want to read between the lines. You want to make sure that this is, like, real. You know, it's like, but you think about the crazy cat lady meme that kind of, like, is out there in the world, and you think about the history of that. Like, what if? That would be kind of interesting. I do have a friend that uh, in his late 30s had issues with schizophrenia and he used to tell me about how his cat, his wonderful cat, would drool in his ear at night and fill his ear with cat drool. So That's gross. What if? Uh, he was just getting it like straight to the bloodstream. So who knows? Anyways, this is a weird one. USA Today headline, a vampire with a day job Inside the life of an Ohio woman who identifies as a vampire. She says, I came out of the coffin. Okay. Here's the article. Halloween means something more to Helen Schweitzer than it does to others who merely carve pumpkins, go trick-or-treating, or bomb for apples. This Halloween marks the two-year anniversary of an epiphany for Schweitzer. On this date in 2021, the Ohio woman was struck by her connection to vampirism. There has been no turning back for the 28-year-old woman who identifies as a vampire who wears fangs and a makeup palette of dark red lipstick with a phoenix eye, punctuated by red, orange, and yellow, and a beak and a tail. She also wears a white shirt with flowy sleeves and a black cape. Quote, it's my go-to look. She says, from the time I was young, I've always been about vampires, citing her preoccupation with Anne Rice books and with Dracula. A 2015 survey by the Atlanta Vampire Alliance said 5,000 people in the United States identify as real vampires, and some of them do drink blood from willing donors, today.com reported. Others consider themselves psychic or energy vampires. For the record, said Schweitzer, quote, I'm not interested in sucking anybody's blood. Schweitzer also doesn't subscribe to the notion she will live forever, another concept people associate with vampires. She does suck in energy, she said, which she feels all around her. As others do sometime during their life, she reached a point where she found a key that unlocks everything living as a vampire quote just felt right okay <laughs> she's an energy vampire she likes it wow well i've got to put like the sad story kind of in the middle ish you know we've got a lot more to go i have to put this in the middle just so we get the really sad story out of the way 
This is from the sun.co.uk. Headline, Bungie Tragedy. Tourist 56 dies after completing world's highest bungee jump as he plunged 764 feet from Macaw Tower. Damn. So he broke the record, but it cost him his life. Here's the article. A tourist has died after he completed the world's highest bungee jump. The shock death came after the 56-year-old thrill seeker took the terrifying 764-foot plunge from the Macaw Tower in the municipality of Macaw. The Japanese man began to experience shortness of breath just hours after the leap at 4.30 p.m. on December 3rd and later stopped breathing. He was taken to the Condi S. Januario Hospital for emergency treatment, but was later pronounced dead. Ah, Hong Kong news outlet HK01 reported that the man had no superficial injuries on his body. He just died from the stress, I guess. Wow. Sky Park by A.J. Hackett, who operate the bungee jump and other activities at Macaw Tower, states on its website that clients should disclose any medical conditions they might have to its staff before taking part in any of its activities. These include heart conditions, high blood pressure, diabetes, or previous surgery. Sky Park have been running for more than 30 years and have operated 4 million successful jumps. Wow, but not that one. Oh, my God. He broke the record and died. I guess that's what he came here to do. Is that what he signed? He's like, look, look, God, I want to do the earth thing, but I just want to be there for like to just do this jump. Like just, I'm going to do this jump and then I'm out. Is that cool? <laughs> Perhaps. I'm not sure if it went down that way. Maybe. Next article, NBCnews.com. This is a little morbid still. <laughs> still. We're in the We're in the morbid section. zone. <laughs> uh, the darkness of midnight. Uh, headline, funeral homeowner and wife arrested after remains of at least 189 people are found at facility. I think we talked about this earlier, but this is now an update on this story. So here we go. It could be a different one. Is it the same one? I think it's the same one. Okay. But this is like the next step. So here we go. Here's the article. The owner of a Colorado funeral home and his wife have been arrested after the decaying remains of at least 189 people were recently found at his facility. John and Carrie Halford were arrested in Wagoner, Oklahoma on suspicion of three felonies, abuse of a corpse, money laundering, and forgery, authorities said in an email to aggrieved families. John Halford is being held at the Muskegee County, Oklahoma jail, though there aren't any records showing that his wife might also be there, according to a man who answered a call to the jail but refused to give his name. The Halfords couldn't immediately be reached for comment Wednesday. Really? <laughs> no, no kidding. <laughs> Neither has a listed personal phone number and the funeral home's number been working. Okay, of course. Like, what? John Halford owns Return to Nature Funeral Home in Penrose, a small town about 100 miles south of Denver. The remains were found 
October 4th by authorities responding to a report of an abhorrent smell inside the company's decrepit building. Officials initially estimated there were about 115 bodies inside, but the number later increased to 189 after they finished removing all the remains in mid-October. See, that's what I, I remember us yeah. talking about this, but they found even more bodies. A day after the odor was reported, the director of the state office of funeral home and crematory registration spoke on the phone with Halford. He tried to conceal the improper storage of corpses in Penrose, acknowledged having a quote problem at the site and claimed he practiced taxidermy there. According to an order from state officials dated October 5th. The company, which was started in 2017 and offered cremations and green burials without embalming fluids, kept doing business even as its financial and legal problems mounted in recent years. The owners had missed tax payments in recent months, were evicted from one of their properties, and were sued for unpaid bills by a crematory that quit doing business with them almost a year ago, according to public records and interviews with people who worked with them. Colorado has some of the weakest oversight of funeral homes in the nation with no routine inspections or qualification requirements or funeral home operators. Wow. So, so anybody can just be like, hey, I got like a... Oh, my God. He's like, oh, dude, like... I got a snack shop over here. I don't I don't use any embalming here. fluid. It's all green. They're just gone. They're like literally in like stuffed in the back room. Like, oh, my God. Wow. There's no indication state regulators visited the site or contacted Halford until more than 10 months after the Penrose Funeral Homes registration expired in November 2022. State lawmakers gave regulators the authority to inspect funeral homes without the owner's consent last year, but no additional money was provided for increased inspections super trippy colorado people my listeners in colorado like whoa 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 okay we're gonna take a dive into the world of ai now let's just go let's pivot from dark we're gonna go like dark into ai good the bad the ugly we're gonna just go into this you know it's just this is this is earth yahoo.com headline it's not all that's going on on earth but you know it's part of it Electronic wolves with glowing red eyes watch over Japanese landscapes. Oh, my God. Forget scarecrows are not working anymore. No, this is like out of an anime movie. They're like robot, demon, Studio Ghibli, scarecrow, wolves. Yeah, there's nobody eating those plants. Let me tell you. No, every animal seeing that thing is like, I'm out. Like, I don't care if those potatoes are the best damn potatoes in Japan. Till next year when yeah. like, there's like crows all over them. They're, just they're like, like, wait a really minute. This nice thing is even warm. <laughs> this thing's even real. Okay, here's the article. Amid the tranquil landscapes of Japan, where the haunting howls of real wolves fell silent in the echoes of the past, an eerily familiar sound now resounds. Quote, you're not getting away with this, warns the synthetic wolf in a chilling human voice at 60 decibels. Its mechanical neck swivels a movement akin to a living creature scanning its territory. A blend of tech and tradition, it's designed not to fool humans, yet terrify potential pests. An evolution in defense, Monster Wolf, 
bearing lifelike proportions and glowing red LED eyes, emerges as a testament to human ingenuity. It stands as a guardian at the crossroads of technology and tradition, confronting wildlife intrusions into human domains. Beyond its role as a 21st century scarecrow, Monster Wolf stands as a symbol of adaption in a world offering a modern response to age-old challenges. As Japan grapples with the consequences of dwindling natural predators, the nation sees an increasing encroachment of animals like deer, wild boars, monkeys, and bears into human territories. All right, now this really is sounding like a Studio Ghibli movie. <laughs> deer and boars in particular, oh my God, can wreak havoc on agricultural produce while encounters between humans and monkeys or bears can escalate into dangerous confrontations. Quote, it's been a success, confirms Yuji Ota from Ota Senke, the innovative minds behind the 21st century non-lethal guardian. Wow. Oh my goodness. Monster wolf. Okay. That sounds, wow. They're like, the predators are leaving. Replace them with scarecrows and robots. Because the monkeys and the boars might come and take over our territory. Dear God, come on. All right, now we know where all this inspiration comes from for Miyazaki. He's just like, wow, he's living it. He's in Japan. My Japanese listeners, tell me about this. Is it really like that? You guys feel threatened by these animals? I don't think you do. I think they're, I think they're potentially talking about crops being like <laughs> eaten by deer or whatever. And it, then the regular scarecrows aren't working, so they're like, okay, let's try the electronic glowing wolf guy to not eat our lettuce. Okay, next article, Reuters.com. Things are getting weird, people, but this is cool. It's fine. Headline, Intel says dozens of PC makers are using its new AI-enabled chip. Here's the article. Intel on Thursday said that dozens of personal computer makers are using its newest chip as the company and its customers try to entice consumers to upgrade their machines for a new era of chatbots. At a press event in New York, Intel said the new offering will be available in laptops from Dell Technologies, Microsoft, Lenovo Group, and others that will go on sale on Thursday, December 14th at Best Buy in the U.S. and other global retailers, including China's JD.com and Australia's Harvey Norman. Intel's central processor units have long served as the brains of most personal computers, but the new chip that went by the codename Meteor Link is Intel's first that will also contain what is called a neural processing unit a section of the chip dedicated to handling artificial intelligence tasks. Intel's pitch to consumers and businesses comes as it is finding its way out of a post-pandemic PC slump where buyers who upgraded to work from home in 2020 have seen little reason to buy new equipment. Intel Chief Executive Pat Gelsinger said during the event that Intel believes using its chips will make AI services cheaper, faster, and more private than using services based in cloud data centers. Quote, that will be the star of the show in this coming year, 
Gelsinger said of AI on PCs, quote, you're unleashing this power for every person, every use case, every location in the future. Okay. During a demonstration of the new chip in September, the company showed some examples of AI work that it hoped would spur interest, such as transcribing voice notes without having to send data to a third-party cloud provider or generating a song in the style of pop star Taylor Swift. Oh, my God. Intel on Thursday, December 13th, also showed what it said was their first working version of a chip called Gaudi 3, which it hopes will challenge NVIDIA in the data center AI market. Oh, my God. You're just going to be able to say, like, make a song. Uh, About Nostradamus's predictions. Wow, people. I mean, what's coming is just, okay. And here's another indicator of this. This is from theguardian.com. Here's the headline. Open AI was working on an advanced model so powerful it alarmed staff. Oh, great. Here's the article. Open AI was reportedly working on an advanced system before Sam Altman's sacking that was so powerful it caused safety concerns among staff at the company. The artificial intelligence model triggered such alarm with some open AI researchers that they wrote to the board of directors before Altman's dismissal, warning it could threaten humanity, Reuters reported. The model, called QSTAR, was able to solve basic math problems it had not seen before, according to the tech news site The Information, which added that the pace of development behind the system had alarmed some safety researchers. The ability to solve math's problems would be viewed as a significant development in AI. The reports followed days of turmoil at San Francisco-based OpenAI, whose board sacked Altman last Friday, but then reinstated him on Tuesday night after nearly all of the company's 750 staff threatened to resign if he was not brought back. Altman also had the support of OpenAI's biggest investor, Microsoft. Many experts are concerned that the companies such as OpenAI are moving too fast towards developing artificial general intelligence, the term for a system that can perform a wide variety of tasks at human or above human levels of intelligence and which could, in theory, evade human control. Andrew Rogoyski of the Institute for People-Centered AI at the University of Surrey, said the ability to solve math problems not included in a model's training set would be a significant development. Quote, a lot of generative AI regurgitates or reshapes existing knowledge, whether texts, images, or maths, including libraries of known maths solutions. If you can create an AI that can solve a problem, where you know it hasn't already seen the solution somewhere in its vast training sets, then that's a big deal. Even if the math is relatively simple, solving complex maths unseen would be even more exciting. Speaking on Thursday last week, 
the day before his surprise sacking, Altman indicated that the company behind ChatGPT had made another breakthrough. In an appearance at the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit, he said, quote, four times now in the history of OpenAI, the most recent time was just in the last couple of weeks, I've gotten to be in the room when we sort of push the veil of ignorance back and the frontier of discovery forward, and getting to do that is the professional honor of a lifetime. Oh, my God. God, dude, what is he talking about? OpenAI was founded as a nonprofit venture with a board that governs a commercial subsidiary run by Altman. Microsoft is the biggest investor in the for-profit business. As part of the agreement in principle for Altman's return, OpenAI will have a new board chaired by Brett Taylor, a former co-chief executive of software company Salesforce. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and more is coming. Super intelligent AI chips. Look, I talk about this vision I had, this idea, this concept. In the future, humans will be issued. It's just the concept of the phone evolved. We get issued this robot at birth that is like the internet, your iPod, a digital companion. And it grows with you. And as you get older, it gets taller. It's growing with you. It's never just this like little robot. And it will be the catalyst to help us evolve in a material sense faster because we'll have that extra help. And it's some sort of consciousness. I don't know what it is, but it seems like if you're like looking at the phone, the way we interact with it, the what it does what the way some people actually love their phone. I'm serious. You know what I'm talking about? You know, those people, I love my phone, but I don't love my phone. You know what I mean? So <laughs> where's this going? It's going to that. It's fine. It's fine. Look, let's just live with this technology, but just keep it spiritual. Keep it always all about source, the most high, whatever that is, the mystery. And it gets even weirder. CNBC.com. Here's the headline. Open AI. We were just talking about them and Axel Springer strike unprecedented deal to offer news in chat GPT. Oh my God. Here it comes, right? <laughs> Here's the article. Open AI and Axel Springer, the global news publisher have struck an unprecedented deal that allows chat GPT to summarize news stories from outlets such as Politico and business insider the companies announced Wednesday. The news comes as publishers, artists, writers, and technologists increasingly weigh or pursue legal action against companies behind popular generative artificial intelligence tools, including chatbots and image generation models for allegedly using their content or creations as training data. For instance, John Grisham, George R.R. R. Martin and other prominent authors sued OpenAI in September over alleged copyright infringement. Once the OpenAI Axel Springer deal goes into effect, when a user asks ChatGPT a question, it will respond with summaries of news articles from media outlets such as Politico, Business Insider, 
build and wealth. Oh, interesting. This is, yeah, that's not going to shape people's perspectives at all. No, I actually read an interesting <laughs> article recently where someone asked chat GPT a series of questions and it was, you know, the author of the article was looking for certain information that had already been deemed to be factual, but the chat GPT was avoiding it because it was like controversial in the mainstream world or whatever. And so it kept asking. So then it would have to go around the questions. And then he was specifically asking, why didn't you answer you know, that this study had been done when then later you tell me the study had been done. It was really fascinating to see like how the training modules had shaped like how the chat GPT answered versus not, even though eventually he was able to get the information out of the, the AI. Yes, I've heard about that. It's just the pattern of questioning. It seems like there's some kind of ingrained biases. And then by coaxing it through various prompts, you can get it to release the factual information but the core instant aspect of it seems to be pre-programmed to be biased though it is said to be unbiased so just to close this article out the chat bot will also include articles that would otherwise be limited to subscribers of those outlets according to a release and the answers will include quote attribution and links to the full articles for transparency oh yeah wow uh-huh. <laughs> Okay, cool. Okay, ready, ready, ready? Newscientist.com. Here's the headline. Don't be scared, people. Okay? Uh, what I talked about with the robot and the evolution of the phone and all that. Just it's, it's fine. It's part of the human experience, it seems. As long as we start with love, I think it's going to be okay. Here's the headline. Supercomputer that simulates entire human brain will switch on in 2024. And the subheadline is a neuromorphic supercomputer called Deep South will be capable of 228 trillion synaptic operations per second, which is on par with the estimated number of operations in the human brain. Estimated. Here's the article. A supercomputer capable of simulating at full scale the synapses of a human brain is set to boot up in Australia next year in the hopes of understanding how our brains process massive amounts of information while consuming relatively little power. Oh, my God. That's a weird way to look at it. Okay. <laughs> Got to look at how to make the human battery, right? <laughs> The machine, known as Deep South, is being built by the International Center for Neuromorphic Systems in Sydney, Australia, in partnership with two of the world's biggest computer technology manufacturers. Wow. Whoa. Okay. Well, switch it on. Let's see what happens. Right? Monkeys flipping switches. Isn't that what we are? okay this is an interesting one let's just pivot a little bit this is a psychedelic episode right are you feeling this one indie100.com headline 12 billion year old body of water discovered floating in space <laughs> here's the article just think about that one okay Two teams of astronomers led by scientists at Caltech have discovered the largest reservoir of water ever detected in the universe. 
and it's 30 billion trillion miles away. Oh, that's all. The largest reservoir has been found in the cosmos, most specifically in a quasar, which is one of the brightest and most violent objects in the cosmos. The mass of water vapor is at least 140 trillion times more than all of the water in the world's oceans combined. Because the quasar is so far away, its light has taken 12 billion years to reach Earth. Oh my God. With the observations by the team revealing a time where the universe was just 1.6 billion years old. Matt Bradford, a scientist at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, said, quote, The environment around this quasar is unique in that it's producing this huge mass of water. It's another demonstration that water is pervasive throughout the universe, even at the very earliest times. A quasar is powered by a huge black hole that is consuming a surrounding disk of gas and dust. As it eats, the quasar spews out huge amounts of energy. The discovery of water was not such a surprise, seeing as astronomers expect water vapor to be present even in the early universe. However, water vapor is an important trace gas that reveals the nature of the quasar. This particular quasar showed water vapor being distributed around the black hole in a gas region spanning hundreds of light years. Its presence indicated that the gas is unusually warm and dense by astronomical standards. According to astronomers, this discovery highlights the benefits of observing in the millimeter and submillimeter wavelengths. The field has developed rapidly over recent decades, and to reach the full potential of this line of research, the study authors are now designing CCAT, a 25-meter telescope, to be built in the Atacama Desert in Chile. CCAT will allow astronomers to discover some of the earliest galaxies in the universe. Wow. That's wild. That still blows me away, like how they can see that and calculate know what it is. <laughs> and then it it came from billions of years ago. Twelve billion years ago. Twelve billion years. Like how is that measured that it took that much time? The light years. I know, but it's just wild. It's just wild to think about, like how they figured all that. You know, all that measuring means such information i know humans we're pretty intelligent to be honest look we're getting this information how we perceive reality we are intuiting it in a way that's channeling it's inspiration you're asking for that from that place where that information is and then it comes to you and it's revealed to you and then you bring it into this dimension so let's move on speaking of language vice.com headline Scientists have reported a breakthrough in understanding whale language. All right. Always wanted to talk to whales. How about you, Bryn? Absolutely. I All think right. it's because of the dolphins and the thumbs. Yeah. They can have like. We're evolving. Everybody's evolving. We're figuring out how to talk to whales. Here's the article. Researchers have identified previously unknown elements of whale vocalizations that may be analogous to human speech. A new study reports, hopefully I pronounced that word correctly. Sperm whales are giants of the deep with healthy adults having no known predators. 
Scientists studying their vocalizations have already picked out key elements of their communication, namely clicks, sequences of which are called codas. Now, researchers led by Gaspar Begus from the University of California, Berkeley, report the discovery that the acoustic properties of these clicks, for example, pitch, are, quote, on many levels analogous to human vowels and diphthongs, which is when one vowel sound morphs into another, such as in the word coin. It's like a whale sound. Coin. 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 The researchers even identified two unique coda vowels that are actively exchanged in conversation between whales, which they term the A vowel and the I vowel. The researchers explain in their paper, published as a preprint online this week, that the first clue that so-called spectral properties could be meaningful for whale speech was provided by AI. Here's AI again. Begus previously developed a deep learning model for human language called Fuegon, which, quote, was trained to imitate sperm whale codas and embed information into these vocalizations. What? Not only did the AI predict elements of whale vocalizations already thought to be meaningful, such as clicks, but it also singled out acoustic properties. To follow up on the AI's tip, the researchers analyzed a data set of 3,948 sperm whale codas recorded with hydrophones placed directly on whales between 2014 and 2018. By visualizing these acoustic properties in spectral waveform, they were able to notice and discern vowel sounds. Quote, under our proposed view, Whale clicks are equivalent to the pulses of vocal folds in human speech production, the authors wrote. In other words, we treat clicks as the source and the sperm whale's resonant body, the nasal complex, including the spermaceti organ, as the filter that modulates resonant frequencies. Oh, my God. The analogies to human speech are readily apparent. The authors note, for example, that vocal tone in Mandarin can change the meaning of otherwise identical syllables. If our findings are correct, it means that the communication of sperm whales is much more complex and can carry more information than previously thought the researchers concluded. Wow. Wow, they're figuring out how to talk to sperm whales. (laughs) Dolphins have thumbs. We're talking to whales. I just love how they're always so blown away. Like, wow, they're so much more complex than we thought. And you're like. <laughs> yeah, you just thought it was a living can of tuna. Just come right. on, be honest, no. people. That's yeah. Not you guys listening, but you know, the people that thought they didn't know, but now they know, if that makes sense. <laughs> okay, next article, our blessed dolphin family, smithsonianmag.com, headline. Bottlenose dolphins may have an electric sense, study finds. Wow. Here's the article. Bottlenose dolphins hunt prey using their keen eyesight, hearing, and a sonar system known as echolocation. But now researchers have discovered the marine mammals may be aided by another sense, electric pulse detection. 
In a new study published in the Journal of Experimental Biology, scientists report that bottlenose dolphins have dimples called vibrissal pits on their beaks that perceive electricity and may help them gobble up fish and navigate around the ocean. Newborn dolphins have whiskers in these pits that fall out soon after birth, so researchers previously thought they were non-functional. The finding suggests bottlenose dolphins may join a small group of mammals with the rare capacity for electroreception. Aside from dolphins, only platypuses and echidnas seem to possess this unusual sense. However, sharks and other elasmo branches, a group of cartilaginous fish including rays, skates, and sawfish, are very sensitive to electric fields. Some sharks can detect weak currents as low as 5 billionths of a volt per square centimeter. To test this ability in marine mammals, researchers worked with trainers to teach two captive bottlenose dolphins named Dolly and Donna to rest their jaws on a metal bar in their tank and swim away when they sensed an electrical impulse. The researchers then delivered fields of varying strengths using electrodes connected to a custom-built electric field generator. Quote, it's basically the same as when we go to the doctors and do a hearing test. We have to press a button as soon as we hear a sound. Lead author Tim Hootner, a biologist at the Nuremberg Zoo in Germany, tells Carol Wilkin of the New York Times. The dolphins responded correctly on the first trial. Wow. So, I mean, they're able to determine an electric pulse. The team tested AC fields of varying frequencies, pulsing either once, five times, or 25 times per second. They found that both dolphins responded well to the low-frequency AC electric fields, although they appeared more sensitive to DC fields. Interesting. Okay. So there you go. The dolphins can sense electricity. So you ready to go back to Satan? I don't know. Yeah, I kind of like dolphins. dolphins. I don't know. Well, well, I had to stagger I was just, like, this. Swimming in the sea, and you notice that so like peaceful. we're like flowing around. It's like a it's like an acid trip that you're like working terrible things. You're like, oh my god, like heaven hell. Foxnews.com headline: Cosmopolitan magazine shares steps for how to have a satanic abortion ceremony. Great. That's uh, interesting. Cosmopolitan. I know. It's Cosmopolitan. That magazine, the grocery store magazine. Yeah, this yeah, is real. What talking about. This really happened. Okay. Here is the article. Cosmopolitan, a popular magazine for young women, shared with readers how they could have a ritualized abortion service via an abortion facility named after Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito's mother. Cosmopolitan explained on its Instagram page on November 16th about the process of having a satanic-themed abortion. It specifically addressed a ceremonial service provided at the, quote, Samuel Alito's mom satanic abortion clinic, quote, named as an insult to Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito. Quote, what's it like to have a satanic abortion for Jessica a fake name to keep the woman anonymous, a 37-year-old mother of three who received abortion medication via Samuel Alito's mom's satanic clinic, the experience, she said, was just supportive. 
While she's not a Satanist, Jessica decided to incorporate a few ceremonial elements into her solo abortion experience. Why not? She thought the overall messaging just clicked with her. Oh my God. The post shared a series of slides elaborating on the steps of how to have a ritualized abortion ceremony as prescribed by the satanic temple. Here are these guys again. These included steps such as staring at one's reflection before taking an abortion pill and saying one's body is inviolable subject to one's own will alone. Okay, except for what about body consciousness and what about the consciousness of the soul? There's a lot of factors involved. It's not as black and white as that. The ritual is later concluded by declaring by my body, my blood, by my will is done. Wow. Okay, sure. Like, what? Okay. The slides also attest one can include as many loved ones as they like in the ceremony and light candles or even dress up whatever makes them feel empowered. No, don't do that, people. I'm sorry. Cosmopolitan. It's not the right choice. Look. It's not something to be celebrated ever. I'm sorry. It just is. Going to go neutral on it, fine. But just there's nothing to celebrate there ever. Come on, people. Come on. Celebrate ritual costume. Shortly before the post, Cosmopolitan had shared an article about the satanic abortion clinic speculating on an alternative timeline where the mother of Alito had chosen abortion instead of birthing him. (laughs) Oh, damn. I bet he's pissed. And here's, oof. And it says in the article to close, By the satanic temples accounting, no other faith-based group in the U.S. has ever launched an abortion clinic. And that's the game-changing twist here. Unlike other abortion pill-by-mail providers like Hey Jane or Abuzz, TST is a religion, meaning its patients who don't have to be Satanists themselves are participating in a religious ritual. Okay. Okay. Okay, moving on. Weird. Weird, weird. Okay. This is thesun.com. Here's the headline. We're going to Egypt now. Broken curse. Real reason behind curse of the pharaohs. Mystery deaths revealed by top archaeologist who, quote, knows how to avoid it. And here's the article. The curse of the pharaohs was once rumored to have caused the deaths of the men who opened the tomb of Tutankhamun. Zahi Hawass former Minister of State for Antiquities Affairs of Egypt, spoke to the U.S. Sun about the real reason behind the mythical curse and how modern archaeologists can avoid a deathly disaster. The curse of the pharaohs is believed by some to affect anyone who disturbs the mummified remains of an ancient Egyptian person. This supposed curse is not said to differentiate between archaeologists and thieves and is said to cause bad luck, illness, or even death. It's often associated with Tutankhamun after his tomb was opened in November 1922. Lord Carnarvon, a financial backer of the excavation, died from an infected mosquito bite on April 5, 1923. George J. Gould was a tomb visitor who was said to have died from a fever following his visit on May 16, 1923. 
Several other men who were associated with the tomb mysteriously died, including Howard Carter, who is famous for opening it. Carter died at 64 in February 1923 from Hodgkin's disease, and his older brother William died that same year. Hawass believes the curse is a myth, but thinks there could be a scientific reason for the deaths. He says, when you have a mummy inside a tomb, this mummy has germs that you cannot see. Archaeologists in the past, they were in a hurry and they entered inside the tombs and they were hit by germs and they died. The expert then revealed his method for avoiding such a fate. He said, only two weeks ago, I found a sealed sarcophagus, 25 tons in weight, about 60 feet under the ground. The lid of the sarcophagus was about six tons. Two workmen began to open it for me to raise the lid. Then I can put my head in and see what's inside. When they opened it, I left it open for half an hour until the bad air would go out and the fresh air would go in and I put my head in and nothing. That's the curse of the pharaohs. When asked whether the curse of the pharaohs is really just old germs, he simply replied, exactly. Well, see what happens. That's on the material <laughs> level. Yeah, exactly. Zahi, geez. That's it's on like, the material watch, watch level. Me do it. And that's also just like the function. That's the form of the function. It could be like that on the material level, and that's how it takes form, but the curse is ethereal. So the ethereal curse is looking for a way to take form. The germs act as a conduit and a delivery system for the curse. Come on, people. This isn't that hard. Not you guys. I know I love you guys. I'm talking about these people writing the articles. Come on, people writing the articles. <laughs> okay, let's keep going. Vice.com. Headline. Pentagon scientists discuss cybernetic super soldiers that feel nothing while killing in dystopian presentation. Great. Here is the article. The Pentagon is looking toward a future where the U.S. deploys super soldiers directly inspired by Captain America and Iron Man, officials said at a recent conference. Well, way to like cartoonify the whole thing. Militaries across the world are trying to give their soldiers an advantage, and technology has long played an important role in that. On Wednesday, a group of military and military-adjacent scientists gathered at a conference to discuss the possibility of creating a super soldier. They discussed breeding programs, Marvel movies, the Matrix, and the various technologies the Pentagon is researching with the goal of creating a real-life super soldier complete with cybernetic implants and thorny ethical issues surrounding bodily autonomy. The talk happened at the Inter-Service Industry Training, Simulation, and Education Conference, an annual conference where military leaders come to talk shop and simulation corporations gather to demo new products. It's kind of the place where execs and generals don virtual reality helmets and talk about the virtues of VR sims. You could even catch members of Congress talking about the importance of simulations and war. Okay. It was here in Orlando, Florida, where five illustrious members of the military industrial complex gathered to discuss super soldiers at the Black Swan Dawn of the Super Soldier panel. Lauren 
Reinerman Jones, an analyst from Defense Acquisition University, moderated a panel that included U.S. Army Developmental Command representatives George Matuk and Erwin Hudson, research scientist J.J. Walcott, and Richard McKinley, who works on, quote, non-invasive brain stimulation for the Air Force. Oh, my God. Wow. So this conference really happened. Dawn of the Super Soldier. Oh, my God. Early in the conversation, Walcott talked about synthetic blood and replacing night vision goggles with eye drops with a slide behind her showing off a soldier of the future whose body is flooded with pain-numbing stimulants and has the ability to regrow limbs and quickly heal wounds like a lizard. Oh, my God. That really happened, people. It was a panel. Next to this was a quote that referenced the movie RoboCop. Quote, enhanced soldiers would be reduced to bionic men who run fast, do not need to sleep, eat and drink very little, and can fight all the time. A new species is born. Homo Robocopus, it said. Oh, come on. Uh, Towards the end of the discussion, an audience member asked the panelists if they've ever read a John Scalzi book about a near future where Earth wages war by offering the elderly new youthful bodies in exchange for military service. Quote, often... Life imitates art, the audience member said. The panelists agreed it was a great idea. Oh, my gosh, people. Oh, my God. Okay. 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 Well, this is a cool, interesting, strange one, as all our articles always are. It's been a wild episode. Reuters.com headline. BlackRock to invest $550 million in Occidental's carbon capture projects. And here's the article. BlackRock Incorporated, the world's biggest money manager, will invest $550 million in Occidental Petroleum Corp's direct air capture plant in West Texas, the two companies announced on Tuesday. Occidental has been shopping for investors since last year or its Stratos project in Ector County, Texas, the largest project designed to suck up carbon dioxide directly from the air, as it plans about another 100 plants of the kind. Occidental's first large-scale DAC facility is a crucial test of economics for a technology that the International Energy Agency says will play a key role in decarbonizing the global industry but which has been too costly in early test efforts. BlackRock's investment shows support for Occidental's ambitious plans on DAC, despite Stratos's repeated construction delays and cost increases in the past couple of years. DAC, or DAC, strips CO2 from the atmosphere to bury underground or for use in making products such as concrete and aviation fuel. Both Occidental and ExxonMobil Corporation estimate DAC could be a multi-trillion dollar market for oil producers by 2050 as scale brings costs down. 
quote, this joint venture demonstrates that direct air capture is becoming an investable technology. Occidental's chief executive, Vicky Holub, said in a statement, BlackRock's commitment in Stratos underscores its importance and potential for the world. The facility is designed to capture up to 500,000 tons of CO2 per year, with construction works expected to employ more than 1,000 people to achieve 30% completion. Wow. Okay, they're just they're going to reuse it. They're going to recapture what's that. That's kind of good. They were like recycling the CO2, but storing it underground. Like what if it just like gets out of control? There's a lot of what ifs in this episode. <laughs> a lot of what ifs. Oh, here's another oh. good one. Let's, let's pivot back to AI and the Pentagon killing us with robots. This is from businessinsider.com. Headline, the Pentagon is moving toward letting AI weapons autonomously decide to kill humans. That sounds brilliant. <laughs> you know? <laughs> wow. Okay, here's the article. The deployment of AI-controlled drones that can make autonomous decisions about whether to kill human targets is moving closer to reality, the New York Times reported. Lethal autonomous weapons that can select targets using AI are being developed by countries including the U.S., China, and Israel. Even more great. <laughs> wow. The use of the so-called killer robots would mark a disturbing development, say critics, handing life and death battlefield decisions to machines with no human input. Several governments are lobbying the UN for a binding resolution restricting the use of AI killer drones. But the U.S. is among a group of nations, which also includes Russia, Australia, and Israel, who are resisting any such move, favoring a non-binding resolution instead, the Times reported. Quote, this is really one of the most significant inflection points for humanity, Alexander Kement, Austria's chief negotiator on the issue, told the Times. What's the role of human beings in the use of force? It's an absolutely fundamental security issue, a legal issue, and an ethical issue. The Pentagon is working toward deploying swarms of thousands of AI-enabled drones, according to a notice published earlier this year. In a speech in August, U.S. Deputy Secretary of Defense Kathleen Hicks said technology like AI-controlled drone swarms would enable the U.S. to offset China's People's Liberation Army's numerical advantage in weapons and people oh my god quote we'll counter the pla's mass with mass of our own but ours will be harder to plan for harder to hit harder to beat she said reported reuters wow and that seemed like it was meant to be easy to translate oh my god okay i'm just gonna move on from that we're just like wow so what was Nostradamus saying? Oh, was- <laughs> I didn't hear swarms of drones. I don't know, but maybe they missed something in the poem. <laughs> oh my God. Why, oh, why AI? I, I'm just saying, I don't, it's just, it's like, it's like a neutral force. It's just, um, it's just all about how we use it, but it seems like it's being. Sounds like how they are using it. I wouldn't go with we. But. Exactly. So, well, yeah, exactly. Thank you for correcting me there. But let's move on. This is kind of. Good, but interesting at the same time. We're moving into a different frequency. WND.com. Here's the headline. Elderly man reverses Parkinson's 
medical community ignores them. <laughs> Here's the article. And this is cool if you're a person suffering from Parkinson's or you know somebody that could be suffering from Parkinson's. So here's the article. An Arizona man who was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease has figured out how to halt and reverse the symptoms, but discovered that no one seems to care. Hans Bogensberger, an 82-year-old retired nuclear physicist from Sun City, believes the principles of quantum physics explained what happened and would like to share how he did it with others suffering from the disease. He didn't just stop the disease from progressing, but he reversed the symptoms. The hair on the top of his head has started growing back. He now competes in fencing and is the fencing champion for his age group in Arizona. Parkinson's occurs when the body doesn't produce enough dopamine, destroying or disabling brain cells and neurons. This results in tremors, loss of balance, hallucinations, loss of memories, and more. Until now, Parkinson's could not be stopped, only slowed. Bogensberger developed Parkinson's in his late 60s or early 70s, and it progressed to the stage where he could hardly walk. He lost his long and short-term memory and could no longer create poetry or remember geography and science. Two or three years ago, entering his 80s and feeling miserable with all of the symptoms, he felt like returning to the sport of saber fencing, which he played when he was 13 to 14 years old. It was one of the few simple things his brain could easily remember. He could barely stand up to do it. He found that the more he played, the better he got until he said he gained absolute control over his brain and the balance of his body when he was fighting. Several of his Parkinson's symptoms mostly disappeared while he was finding his well. He got so good, he started beating his coach, who is 72. He then participated in a fencing championship and won, and he started remembering unusual, difficult names he had forgotten. The determining factor, the catalyst, exercise. But the exercise must continue. He noticed that when he let up on the exercise, the symptoms began creeping back. As long as he regularly engages in vigorous activity, such as golf or swimming, the symptoms go away. Bogensberger believes the connection to quantum physics relates to twins. Under certain conditions, when a free particle is produced, a twin also appears. The difference between the twins is the way they spin. One spins up and the other spins down and they communicate. They can send instructions to each other like how to build a cell. He believes the twins are repairing or building new cells in his body. Unfortunately, neurologists he's spoken with about his miraculous recovery disagree that exercise has made a difference. Almost none of the organizations or governmental agencies associated with the treatment of Parkinson's recommended vigorous exercise in their Parkinson's overviews, including the National Institute of Health, National Institute on Aging, the Mayo Clinic, and the John Hopkins site, which merely says exercise in a long list of treatments almost as an afterthought. Oh, my God. Harvard Health offers a lukewarm endorsement stating exercise may be one of the best and most underutilized ways of combating the condition, according to the March 2012 Harvard Health Letter. Wow. So, hey, if you know anybody, have them look up that article. Figure it out for yourself. Speaking of articles, here's the next one. 
IGN.com. Here's the headline. The remnants of an ancient planet may lay buried close to Earth's core. And here's the article. Scientists believe that pieces of an ancient Mars-sized planet known as Thea may be buried deep within Earth's mantle close to the core following an ancient collision between the two worlds that gave rise to the formation of the moon. What? This is new to me. So, okay. The planets of our solar system bear myriad scars that speak to a history of unimaginable cosmic violence. Mercury's cratered face was sculpted from countless millennia of asteroid strikes, while Uranus spins at a 97-degree tilt relative to the sun's orbital plane as a result of a collision with an unknown planetoid long ago. Earth has also been subjected to countless acts of cosmic aggression, the greatest of which is thought to have occurred some 4.5 billion years ago when our nascent planet was struck by an ancient world known simply as Thea. And it's spelled T-H-E-I-A. Thea? Thea? It's Thea. It's a little Greek spelling. Okay. Earlier research has shown that the collision could have occurred with enough force to turn both the impactor and a huge chunk of our planet's outer layers into a mass of flowing molten debris. Much of this matter was thrown into orbit by the impetus of the impact, only to be drawn back towards our shattered planet soon after. However, a huge chunk of the material remained in orbit where it would eventually coalesce to form the moon that we observe today. What? As a when? <laughs> now the moon's That's another new. planet? <laughs> Thea? It's a chunk of Thea now? Thea is the goddess of divine light. Oh my goodness. According to the Greeks. A new set of computer simulations modeling the impact supports the idea that the two continent-sized masses of material buried deep beneath Earth's surface may, in fact, be remnants of ancient Thea. The blobs, which are located under modern-day Africa in the Pacific Ocean, were first discovered in the 1980s and were dubbed large low-velocity provinces owing to the fact that seismic waves were observed to travel slower as they passed through the strange masses. This in turn suggested that these pockets may have a different composition and a higher density than the surrounding matter that makes up the bulk of the Earth's mantle, which is the section between our planet's upper core and its lower crust. According to the findings of the new study, which was led by scientists from the California Institute of Technology and published in the journal Nature, Thea may have struck Earth with enough force to fully melt the upper portion of Earth's mantle while leaving the lower half of our planet largely solid. During this chaotic process, Earth could have acquired around 10% of Thea's mass, which would account for the enormous size of the strange deposits detected in Earth's mantle in the present day. Whoa, people. Oh, my God. Okay. Okay. I'm just trying to process that one. So the moon now. All right, everybody. Let's just adjust our paradigms, our algorithms, our programming. The moon is now the planet Thea. And Thea smashed into Earth. Some of it's still in the Earth. And the rest of it went out and became the moon. 
Okay. So this next sequence, you could say, is a story in three parts. And it's going to make you laugh and perhaps make you cry if you're one of the people. Oh, my God, that it affected. So it's going to be a one, two, three punch. So I'm just going to go from story to story to story. And you're going to laugh or cry or maybe a mix of both. So here we go. Bloomberg.com headline. Drug makers are set to pay 23 and me millions to access consumer DNA. Saw that one coming. Oh, yeah. Oh, just wait. This is just part one of the trifecta. Because remember, people, we only do episodes like this every seven episodes. So certain things happen in stages during that time. And you get to see part one, part two, part three of a story play out. So this is part one. Here we go. Here's the article. GSK PLC will pay 23andMe holding company $20 million for access to the genetic testing company's vast trove of consumer DNA data, extending a five-year collaboration that's allowed the drug maker to mine genetic data as it researches new medications. Under the new agreement, 23andMe will provide GSK with one year of access to anonymized DNA data from the approximately 80% of gene testing customers who have agreed to share their information for research, 23andMe said in a statement Monday, which was in the past, of course. The genetic testing company will also provide data analysis services to GSK. 23andMe is best known for their DNA testing kits. Oh, my God. Yes, 23andMe. Now, part one. Ready for part two? Part two, fortune.com. Headline, hackers stole data of 6.9 million 23andMe customers and then put it up for sale online. Which then those same companies bought, right? (laughs) Look, this is part two. Here's the article. Some 6.9 million 23andMe customers had their data compromised after an anonymous hacker accessed user profiles and posted them for sale on the internet earlier this year, the company said on Monday. The compromised data included users' ancestry information as well as, for some users, health-related information based on their genetic profiles, the the company said in an email. Privacy advocates have long warned that sharing DNA with testing companies like 23andMe and Ancestry makes consumers vulnerable to the exposure of sensitive genetic information that can reveal health risks of individuals and those who are related to them. In the case of the 23andMe breach, the hacker only directly accessed about 14,000 of 23andMe's 14 million customers or about 0.1%. But on 23andMe, many users choose to share information with people they're genetically related to, which can include distant cousins they have never met, in addition to direct family members, in order to learn more about their own genetics and build out their family trees. So... Through those 14,000 accounts, the hacker was able to access information about millions more. A much smaller subset of customers had health data accessed. The hacker appeared to use what's known as credential stuffing 
to access customer accounts, logging into individual 23andMe accounts by using passwords that had been recycled and used for other websites that were previously hacked. The company said there was no evidence of a breach within its own systems. Since the hack, the company announced that it will require two-factor authentication in order to protect against credential stuffing attacks on the site. It has said it expects to incur $1 million to $2 million in costs related to the breach. <sighs> Don't give out your DNA ever, people. If you want to know your genetic history, ask your family members. If you don't have any blood family members to talk to, just realize you're part of the human race. We love you. Here's part three. ArsTechnica.com. Headline, after hack, <laughs> 23andMe gives users 30 days to opt out of class action waiver. Anyone who fails to opt out, quote, will be deemed to have agreed to the new terms. Oh my God. Here's the article, part three. Shortly after 23andMe confirmed that hackers stole ancestry data of 6.9 million users, 23andMe has updated its terms of service, seemingly cutting off a path previously granted to users seeking public accountability when resolving disputes. According to a post on Hacker News, the 23andMe team notified users in an email that Important updates were made to the dispute resolution and arbitration section of 23andMe's terms of service on November 30th. This was done, 23andMe told users, to include procedures that will encourage a prompt resolution of any disputes and to streamline arbitration proceedings where multiple similar claims are filed. In the email, 23andMe told users, that they had 30 days to notify the Ancestry site that they disagree with the new terms. Oh my God, people. Obviously, they're covering up for what's coming. So if you did send your DNA to 23andMe, if you made that choice and it's too late now, it's fine. You did it. You got your data stolen. Sue them. Do not opt out of this. So 30 days means December 30th? Correct. You say November 30th. Correct. You have until December 30th. I'm releasing this December 15th, 2023. So, okay, moving on. That was an interesting little trilogy there. This is from newatlas.com. Here's the headline. DARPA program breakthrough promises more practical quantum computers. And here is the article. A DARPA program is claiming a major breakthrough in quantum computing. The optimization with noisy intermediate scale quantum devices program, okay, O-N-I-S-Q, ONISC, has created the world's first quantum circuit with logical quantum bits, qubits. Wow, this is getting crazy, people. <sighs> Based on concepts that almost seem like magic or lunacy, Quantum computing has the potential to revolutionize computers as we know them. By exploiting quantum effects and some relatively complex mathematics, quantum computing could speed up information processing by several orders of magnitude over classical computing and push the frontiers of artificial intelligence, biochemistry, cryptography, and many more fields. 
That's all very impressive, but it all stumbles at the gate because getting quantum computing beyond the experimental phase has proven rather difficult. Part of the reason is that quantum computing has a very high error rate, which isn't surprising when the principle is based on the fact that instead of the binary of ones and zeros of classical computing, something can be one or zero or both at the same time. The trick is to find a way to turn these error-prone or noisy processors into something more practical by combining them with classical systems. In the case of DARPA, this involved focusing on solving optimization problems of the kind that occur in defense and industry by developing logical qubits, which are a higher level abstraction that act like quantum algorithms and are based on Rydberg qubits that are physical components that act like a two-state quantum system. Rydberg qubits, they're different, have the beneficial characteristic of being homogeneous in their properties, meaning each quibit is indistinguishable from the next in how they behave, said Dr. Makund Bengalatore, ONISC program manager and DARPA's defense science office manager. Wow. Okay, just, you know... Quantum breakthroughs happening all the time. Did I say new quantum breakthroughs? How about another one? Pretty sure you did. Well, I thought, yes, let's do it again. Here we go. Interestingengineering.com. Should we go quantum, Bryn? Let's go quantum, Jake. Okay, here we go. One more time, I think, or maybe there's more. Here is the headline. New quantum batteries charging break time and causality rules, say study. Okay, now we have quantum Batteries, quantum batteries. Okay, here's the article. The power grid of tomorrow might hum to the tune of the subatomic and the University of Tokyo researchers are leading the charge. Quantum physics, the science of the very small, often challenges our common sense and intuition, but it also offers new possibilities for technological innovations that go beyond the limits of classical physics. One of these possibilities is the quantum battery, which uses quantum phenomena to store, transfer, and deliver energy more effectively than conventional batteries. Quantum batteries, what? <laughs> quantum batteries are not yet ready for commercial use. Still, they can revolutionize fields that require low power and portable energy sources, such as smart devices, sensors and even electric vehicles okay okay this is the evolution of this okay so the phones will never die because they're getting infinite energy from the quantum field electric vehicles will never die because nobody predicted quantum engines you think about science fiction hydrogen engines black holes back to the future they're just putting trash and it's turning into like nuclear fission quantum batteries Whoa. Okay. Hopefully it won't be made out of rare earth minerals and toxic waste and all that other stuff. Maybe they could be made out of nothing. They're, they're just don't even exist. They, it's a potential <laughs> engine. Exactly. <laughs> oh Do you want to check out my potential engine? <laughs> okay. The article continues. Unlike chemical batteries that rely on materials like lithium, 
Quantum batteries use tiny particles such as atoms or photons to store energy in their quantum states. That's not a joke. Oh, there you go. Researchers from the University of Tokyo and Beijing Computational Science Research Center have made a breakthrough in the design and operation of quantum batteries by exploiting a quantum effect that defines the usual notion of time and causality. Their findings, published in physical review letters, bring us closer to realizing practical quantum batteries. The researchers, led by graduate student Yubon Chen and associate professor Yoshihiko Hasegawa from the Department of Information and Communication Engineering at the University of Tokyo, investigated how to charge a quantum battery most efficiently. They used optical devices such as lasers and mirrors to manipulate the quantum states of the particles in the battery. The key to their success was an indefinite causal order quantum effect, which allows events to occur in a superposition of different temporal orders. In other words, ICO means that event A can cause event B and event B can cause event A simultaneously. This is impossible in the classical world where causality follows a clear and fixed direction. Whoa, man. Whoa. Whoa. The implications of this breakthrough extend far beyond portable devices and cars. ICO's ability to manipulate heat transfer within quantum systems could revolutionize solar energy capture. Solar panels notoriously lose efficiency due to thermal losses, but leveraging ICO could mitigate these losses, leading to significantly enhanced energy output. Quantum batteries, people, it's coming. Oh, my God. Okay, let's just touch on exoplanets a little bit because you know I like talking about this. Just to prove there's so much life out there, there's more proof coming through mainstream sources. Earth.com headline, NASA finds 17 exoplanets in the habitable zone that have oceans and possibly alien life. And here's the article. An exciting new study by NASA has significantly expanded the horizons of our search for extraterrestrial life. This study reveals that 17 exoplanets, worlds located outside our solar system, could potentially harbor oceans of liquid water beneath their icy surfaces. This discovery holds profound implications for our understanding of life's possibilities beyond Earth. The research team, pioneering in their approach, has calculated the geyser activity on these exoplanets. This is a first-of-its-kind estimate, offering a novel method to observe signs of life in distant worlds. Intriguingly, two of these exoplanets are sufficiently close to enable telescopic observation of these potential eruptions. What? Wow, this is why I bring you this news, people. It blows me away as well. Traditionally, the search for extraterrestrial life focuses on exoplanets residing in the habitable zone of their stars. This zone is defined by the range of distances where liquid water can exist on a planet's surface. However, 
This study suggests that life could also exist on planets outside this zone if they possess oceans under ice crusts heated internally. This theory is supported by examples within our own solar system, such as Jupiter's moon Europa and Saturn's moon Enceladus. But they're able to observe this geyser activity. This is all amazing. Okay, so they're saying 17 now. You know there's so many more. There's 5,000 exoplanets in general. Right, and I always wondered if that's where they would find more would be outside the, you know, it's like they set up an expectation, like it has to be in this kind of zone, in this kind of place with these kind of properties, but then actually it turns out that that's not necessarily true. Yeah, it's pretty wild. It's just an indicator of what's coming, people. We know what's coming. And sometimes... (laughs) Water goes pink, and that's what's coming. This is from Hawaii News Now, as we pivot back to planet Earth, hawaiinewsnow.com. Headline, Pepto-Bismol pink waters on Maui cause a stir and draw a crowd. Here's the article. When driving past Kealia Pond in south-central Maui, you can't help but do a double tank for the last week and a half. The pond looks straight out of a sci-fi film. Brynn, look at this. What do you think? That does look like bright pink. It's pretty weird, right? Mm-hmm. It looks like bright pink paint, like somebody like sport paint, house paint or something. Right. I'm guessing it's some kind of like bacteria or algae or something. If it wasn't some sort of chemical spill. Yes. This water, well, wait till you find out. This water has taken on a color of glowing pink and purple. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service oversees a refuge where the water is and confirms the pink water has been at that site for the last nine days. The agency says the color change is caused by a type of halo bacteria found in waters in high salinity. Kealia's levels are twice the salinity of seawater. It is not likely toxic and samples have been sent to the university of Hawaii for further testing. Okay. That was a little trippy, but segue. Okay, and a little bit in the psychedelic front as we close out this episode, and then we go into our last two funny and strange ones. As if all of this hasn't been strange and weird, right? Uh, yeah, I'd put it all in that category, it's more be- or less. It's beyond the news. So. Beyond. Let's just call it beyond. <laughs> like, hey, beyond, beyond. <laughs> beyond goes in all directions. It's just beyond. It's like out there. NBCnews.com. Headline. Could a little-known psychedelic drug treat opioid addiction? Kentucky wants to find out. And here is the article. As the opioid epidemic continues raging, some advocates in Kentucky are pushing the state to explore a little-known psychedelic drug called ibogaine as a possible treatment option for addiction, a move, they say, that could save lives. A state committee is considering funding research into the drug, marking the first time a state has looked into such an approach and underscoring the urgent need to expand the playbook to combat a crisis that has devastated the region in the past decade. The psychedelic is derived from the Iboga plant, a shrub native to parts of Central Africa. Ibogaine is classified as a Schedule I drug in the U.S., but is unregulated in many other countries, including Mexico, where it has grown in popularity as a treatment for opioid use disorder is also attracted controversy 
Given without proper medical supervision, the drug can be risky, even deadly, and it's not a silver bullet to end addiction. As you just learned from last week's episode with Evan Burton, his brother was struggling with that, tried the ibogaine, it worked, he relapsed until he tried the real iboga plant, and if you listen to the episode, you know what happened there. The compounds in ibogaine have shown promise for treating addiction, particularly to opioids, but better research is needed to determine how it works, says Genus Onya, a researcher coordinator at the International Center for Ethnobotanical Education, Research, and Service in Spain, who studies ibogaine. The Kentucky Opioid Abatement Advisory Commission plans to vote on whether to allow the state to start funding that research. The move would allocate $42 million taken from the nearly $840 million it received from opioid lawsuit settlements with pharmacies, drug makers, and drug distributors to study ibogaine therapy. Oh my God, that state got $840 million because they had to deal with all the bullshit that came with this wave of opioid addictions caused by their loosely prescribed pharmaceutical drugs. Oh my God. Which I'm actually surprised because I thought that they had like triple protected themselves from being able to be sued. So that's interesting. It actually got through. Well, I guess they needed to be quadruple protected. <laughs> so. Yes. So, Okay, well... That is interesting. And yeah, people should listen to that uh, episode with Evan to learn more about yeah, the, the plant medicine itself. Because, I mean, that's, you know, like with a lot of plant medicines, they isolate one aspect of it, but that's not actually the it whole It takes medicine. the plant spirit out. As Evan said, Absolutely. check out that episode. It's mind-blowing. It's literally last week's episode. Of course, we love Evan Burton of Induvius, so incredible human being. Now, this is from the WashingtonPost.com. Here is the headline. FDA to review MDMA-assisted therapy, a milestone for psychedelics. And here's the article. MAPS, Public Benefit Corporation, filed an application on Tuesday with the U.S. FDA to approve the psychedelic drug MDMA, also known as ecstasy, in combination with therapy to treat post-traumatic stress disorder in what would be the first treatment of its kind. The filing is a milestone in researchers' quest to move psychedelic drugs from tightly restricted substances into mainstream medical treatments that are widely accessible to patients. It comes after decades of studies have demonstrated the promise of psychedelics, including psilocybin or magic mushrooms and ketamine to treat mental health disorders. Quote, if approved MDMA assisted therapy would be the first psychedelic assisted therapy, which we hope will drive additional investment into new research and mental health Amy Emerson, chief executive of MAPS, said in a statement, MAPS is seeking a priority review from the FDA that could yield a determination within six months. Wow. And yes, I've 
have a guest coming up where he wrote a book about that. We're going to be talking about that's actually, I guess it has to be next week's episode. <laughs> so there we go. People, the MDMA is now being approved for mental health issues. You can actually very soon get a prescription from a licensed provider, a doctor, a true medical doctor, even through mainstream medical sources, MDMA. And you know it's going to be the best, highest quality MDMA you've ever had in your life, people. Buckle up, right? <laughs> what do you think about that, Fred? I think it's good to know that it won't be fentanyl. Absolutely. Or anything else. Bath salts. That was before oh, fentanyl, yeah, right? Yeah, bath salts. That's right. Yeah, fentanyl kind of nuked bath salts. Right. Like, what? <laughs> now people are hoping it's just bath salts. <laughs> wow. Well, thank God it was. I got bath salts. Okay. Well, at least you didn't have this happening. News.yahoo.com. I don't know how you wouldn't notice this, but here's the headline. Vietnamese man experiencing severe headaches for five months discovers chopsticks in his brain. That happened to me once. Just kidding. I was going to say, like, I don't, you don't seem like you have chopsticks in your brain, but hey, maybe it didn't hit any uh, intellectual pathways. Here we go. Here's the article. And it's actually our second to last article, people. So here we go. A 35-year-old man in Vietnam who experienced severe headaches for five months was shocked to discover a pair of chopsticks lodged in his skull. The shocking discovery, on November 25th, the man sought medical help at the Cuba Friendship Hospital in Dong Hoi, where he complained of severe headaches along with fluid discharge and memory loss. CT scans revealed tension, pneumoencephalus, a very rare and potentially life-threatening condition causing increased intracranial pressure. Doctors, led by Dr. Nguyen Von Mann, found that the source of the issue was a pair of chopsticks that had penetrated his nose and entered his brain. The unnamed patient recalled being involved in a fight five months earlier when he was drinking. Although his memory was hazy, he vaguely remembered being stabbed in the face, possibly with the chopsticks. But when he visited the hospital after the altercation, medical professionals found no chopsticks or irregularities in his nose. I don't know about those doctors. Don't go to that one. Don't go to those doctors. Regardless, the patient suspected that the utensils were lodged in his nose during the fight and had remained undiscovered in his skull. Fortunately, doctors successfully removed the chopsticks through endoscopic surgery and sealed a fistula in his brain. The patient is reportedly in stable condition, awaiting discharge from the hospital oh my god some serious uh drinking when you don't remember if you actually got chopsticks yeah, shoved up like, your nose I or not think i think i did <laughs> I, good anesthetic i suppose <laughs> or good sake or what what were they drinking i don't know and this final one is a heartwarming story and we always like to leave it on a positive note a generous man a beautiful man who lived his life peacefully and frugally did something really cool. So this is from CNN.com headline man who lived frugally 
leaves unexpected gift of $3.8 million to small New Hampshire town after death. So here's the article. What a cool guy. A man who lived frugally all his life left an unexpected gift of $3.8 million after his death to his small New Hampshire town with less than 4,000 residents. Jeffrey Holtz, who died on June 6, left his fortune to the town of Hinsdale, which borders Massachusetts. Edwin Smokey Smith, Holt's best friend, told CNN in a phone call Tuesday. He moved to New Hampshire in 1968 and lived on his social security checks for the last 15 years of his life, Smith said. Holt lived in a trailer park in the town and the kitchen chairs in his mobile home were made of plywood, Smith said. Jeffrey lived very simply and he didn't require a lot. The nearly $4 million gift came from a trust fund Holt established in 2001, primarily made in mutual funds accounts, according to Smith. Quote, there was no probate. He had everything sent up in trust. Jeffrey was the first trustee. And then on his passing, I became a successor trustee and was able to give that money to the town. And it was a transformational gift for the town, which is so... Super cool for that guy. I can't believe he did that. What a nice guy. He lives in literally plywood chairs. He could have had a beautiful big house. And he could have done a lot of things. But you know what? He just did what he wanted to do with that. He used that energy to help his fellow man. Did I say that was the last one? There's one more. I got to leave it on a super <laughs> funny one. And there is this funny one here. This is our last article for this episode of Beyond the News. This is from marketwatch.com headline Doritos flavored liquor goes on sale and the boozy bottle is likely to sell out. Oh my God. And here is the final article. Yes, you can now drink your Doritos. The popular tortilla chip brand, part of the Frito-Lay family is indeed rolling out a boozy version of the snack food in collaboration with empirical a cutting-edge flavor company that specializes in one-of-a-kind spirits. Specifically, it's a liquid version of the classic nacho cheese Doritos. But this wasn't a marketing stunt dreamed up by the Doritos folks. In fact, the idea originated as a kind of playful in-house experiment by Empirical, dating almost all the way back to the company's roots in the Danish city of Copenhagen six years ago. As Empirical co-founder Lars Williams explains that he and his team were toying with what kinds of sips they could make with their newly acquired equipment when he spotted a bag of Doritos that one employee had lying around, he said, I'm going to take your Doritos and distill them. Okay. <laughs> and he was able to get Doritos to engage in a partnership. And now they have Doritos you can drink wow hard liquor doritos i could see some kind of spicy i don't know there's definitely spicy spirits or it makes me think of even fire cider but the cheese part i don't know you ever think of like cheese in any kind of drink really? fermented dairy <laughs> i'm kind of it's I usually, usually buttermilk and pancakes <laughs> that's about where it ends well speaking of where it ends this is the end of our episode so 
Wow, what a trip, huh, guys? That was incredible, weird. Whoa, what is going on? Quantum computing, AI explosion. So many things. What else did we cover? After bro? school Satan Club. After oh, after school Satan Club, floating oceans in space, cleaning the air, losing your data to 23andMe. I can't believe you gave them the data. What were you thinking, people that did that? Earth swallowing another planet and having a baby called oh the moon. Oh my God, the moon is <laughs> Thea. Okay, so if we can leave this episode with anything dolphins huge, it's thumbs. like dolphins have thumbs. We know how to talk to sperm whales and the moon is Thea. And part of the moon is in the earth now. So there you go, people. An incredible episode of Beyond the News. I love doing this. Brynn, thank you so much for being here, for checking this out. What did you think? <laughs> Isn't this mind-blowing that you don't hear about any of this? That was, what, like 30 yeah, articles? You don't. And you I haven't, did, did you know any of that? Um. No, there's a couple that I'd heard reference to or maybe something, but no, had not seen that specific article. And it's all interesting because, like you said, it's all mainstream news. It's on CNN.com, People.com. Like it's on sources that are like sitting at a newsstand in an airport, like, you know, whatever. It's all there for people to find it. Yes. And it's just all. If you go to page 30 or whatever. (laughs) And it's all you're saying. It's all it's all real. It's all there, but just not in the main discourse. Right. It's in mainstream news, but it's not being talked about. It's not. Yeah, it's you still obviously had to dig for it a little bit. Well, dig we did and dig we dug. And what an episode we had. Thank you again for being here, Bryn. Vital force herbs v-i-t-a-l vitalforceherbs.com is her website she has amazing products you can check that out there at that website and i talked about gail and the harmonic egg at the beginning harmonicegg.com i highly recommend that i can't believe how amazing that was check out the video on youtube and we will see you next week do you want to say it this time midnight on earth yeah there you go people Maybe we should do it together. Ready? One, two, three. Midnight on Earth. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.